In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Sometimes I find myself not caring enough about my salvation, and it causes me a great deal of laziness in my spiritual life. As a result, I feel very frustrated by the setback. I have no motivation to pick up my slack. How do I stop myself from falling into this cycle? There are two ways to get out of this cycle. One way is to motivate yourself with the love of God. So you can reflect on all the wonderful things that God has done for you. And remind yourself with the love of God what he did for your eternal salvation and also what he did with you here on earth. If this did not work, then the other way is to start thinking about the punishment and the last day and when we stand before the judgment of God and we remember the judgment for the wicked. That's why in the 12th hour of the Akbaya, every night, the church remind us with the last day, Behold, I am about to stand before the just judge, terrified and trembling because of my many sins. For a life spent in pleasures deserves condemnation. But repent, O my soul, so long as you dwell on this earth, etc. Why the church actually chose these litanies to pray at the end of the day? To remind us that as every day ends, our life will end, will stand before the throne of God. So, you have two options. Either to motivate yourself by the love of God, or to remind yourself by the eternal judgment. So this actually can motivate you to get out of this cycle. We always say that it is important to lift our hearts during prayer. Sometimes it feels difficult to pray such a prayer every time I talk to God. How do I know if my prayer is accepted? And is it accepted if I don't think it was heartfelt? Yes, when you stand before God, your prayer is accepted. Because God knows it's a struggle. That's why we read one of the parables that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us about prayer in the Gospel of St. Luke, how we should pray with persistence, without getting bored. Mean and God knows one of the attacks on prayer to be distracted or to get bored. So, as long as you are trying not to be distracted and you try to gather and to collect your thoughts and you go and get distracted again and collect your thoughts and to lift your heart and then get distracted, as long as you are fighting the good fight, your prayer is accepted. One of the beautiful exercises that Isaac of Syria mentioned in his book, The Ascetic Practices by Isaac of Syria, he said, when you are distracted, try to think about the thought that is distracting you. For example, worried about your career, pray about your career. Worried about your exams, 
pray about your exam. But what about if you are distracted in trivial things or something ungodly? Pray that the Lord will give you a godly mind and take away from you these attacks from the devil that distract you in trivial things or in ungodly ways. So, if Satan's goal is to distract you from prayer, then with each thought, you turn it into prayer, that's how you fight back. What is wrong with long hair on guys? In the book of Deuteronomy, it says that man should not put on himself the clothes of women or be dressed like women. And the same way, women should not look like men or be dressed like women. Also, St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? Why? The, the long hair, actually, as St. Paul spoke about women, it's like a cover for the hair. Uncover means you are under authority. So God actually put the man in the charge to be in authority. So now he is despising this authority. That's why it is dishonor to him. Also, St. Paul in the same chapter said, the head of woman is man, the head of man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. We know Christ and God are equal. So when he said the head of Christ is God, this doesn't mean that the son is less than the father, but means the son is begotten from the father. So when he said the head of woman is the man, means woman is taken from man, from the rib of man, not the opposite. And man is created by Christ, and Christ, the Son, is begotten from the Father. So, if my head is Christ, when I cover it by long hair, I'm covering the glory of Christ. That's why in prayer, women cover their heads to cover the glory of humanity, of men, because her head represents men or humanity. This is not a cover for our head. This is a crown of priesthood, as you see it in the book of um, Exodus, when the Lord spoke to Moses about the vestments of Aaron, and also in the book of Revelation, the 24 presbyters with 24 crowns on their heads. So that is a crown of the priesthood. As for Christ and the disciples and Samson, and when they kept their hair long, it is for being in a time of a vow. He vowed himself. So when I vow myself, I am under authority. I am not making decisions for my life. I'm completely under the authority to whom I vowed my life. That's why they kept their hair long. But after the, the time, the vows can be lifelong or become for certain time in my life. Like you read about St. Paul, he vowed and he kept long hair for a certain time after the end of 
his vow, he shaved his head in Centuria, as you read in the book of Acts. So here means I am completely under authority. And by the way, in any uh, profession until now, there is hierarchy like police, like the army, like the pilots, like the priesthood, because you are under authority, that's why you, you, you put something to symbolize you are under authority. So this in addition to be the crown of priesthood, but it means under authority. As for monks, this is not again a cover for their head, but it is actually part of the monastic garb that was given to St. Anthony by the angel. And this is split in the middle, represent the spiritual warfare, because the tradition said Satan appeared and he tried to pull the Kulonsoa from the head of St. Anthony, so St. Anthony held it on the other side, so it is split in between. That's why we keep this split in between. So, yes, it is dishonor, as St. Paul said, to men to grow their hair. Besides now, with all the transgenderism and the confusion between genders, you know, let men be men and let women be women. And we don't more confusion, in addition to the confusion that the society is actually marketing and proposing. Dr. Christian, what do you all think about stocks and the stock market? Is it haram? I think the question has a broader meaning more than the question, which is how to manage your money God's way. Money is one of the talents that God gave to us. So as we should manage our time God's way, we should manage our money God's way. So what is the drive behind investment? Is it to be rich quickly and without working or without toiling? That's wrong. That's wrong. Because the motive here is love of money. And love of money is the root of all evil. So you need to examine your motives first. Yes, to, to have investment and to have plans for the future, like retirement plan, for يعني, if you are married and have children, for college education, for uh, emergency fund, for, you know, yes, you, you can plan and, and manage your money in, in the right way. I'm not expert in the stock market, but what I know, there are two ways to invest in the stock market. One way just is investment. You buy stocks and you leave it, you know, the market go up, you will make money, the market go down, you will lose money. But they say on the long run, it will go up. The market goes up and down, up and down, up and down, but in the long run, it goes up. The other way, it's more or less like gambling. They call it, I think, day trading or whatever, and you buy and sell. Buy. This addictive is gambling. People want to make money, huge amount of money in, in a short time, and at the end, they lose a lot of money. So the day trading is not acceptable. 
because it's gambling driven by the love of money. It's addictive. People actually wake up in the morning if, if they sleep <laughs> and, and to check the, the market, what they should sell, what should they should buy, etc., etc. But if it's just investment, you buy stocks and you leave it. I don't think it's wrong as long as the company is doing proper business, not an appropriate business. Are priests' wives supposed to act like they run the church just because they are married to priests? No, that's not right. Sometimes when the candidate wife asks me, what do you expect from me after the ordination of my uh, husband? And I tell her, be the same. If you are serving, continue to serve. If you are not serving, continue not to serve. You know. So there is no a special assignment given to her because her husband became a priest. But as a parishioner, as a believer, whatever talent she has, she uses it to glorify God with his talents. Whether her husband is priest or not, so she glorifies God with her talents. What scriptures can we use from the Bible to fight against transgenders and upcoming LGBTQ social acceptance? Actually, many verses from the scripture, like in Romans chapter 1, St. Paul was very, very clear. Let me just read it for you if you don't know it, but I'm sure all of you know it. In Romans chapter 1, verse 27, Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of women, burned in their lusts for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Many other verses. This is just one of the verses. But even if you look at it from a scientific point of view and medical point of view, the anatomy, the physiology of the body is against actually homosexuality and transgenderism. I remember somebody sent me a video about a school like forcing the teacher to accept. Uh, boys and, and girls, if boys said I'm a girl, to deal uh, with with him as a girl, and if she said I'm a boy, to deal with him as a boy. So one of the teachers actually, she dressed like a cat. And then she started make a speech. I said, I'm a cat. And you need actually to, to talk to me as a cat. Well, she paused and, and, and she said, but the reality is, not because I said I am a cat, then I am a cat. I am not. So there is a common sense. Not because I say I am a woman, this makes me female. The anatomy, the chromosomes, the physiology, everything in me says I am a male. Not because my subjective perception of myself that I am a female, this makes me a female. And we are the children of God. We should say the truth. We will be lying and not witnessing for the truth if we addressed a man as a woman because he asked us to address him as a woman. 
will not be saying the truth and will not be witnessing for the truth if we address the woman as a man because she asked to do this. So we need to be truthful and to witness for the truth. Is it against the Bible to get tattoos on your body? Yes, there is a very clear verse in Leviticus. Before I read to you the verse, I, I want to tell you why the body, the Bible told, told us uh, it is wrong to have a tattoo. When people came out of the land of Egypt, they were influenced by the Egyptians and by paganism in general. And because they were influenced by paganism, that's why they want to imitate them. And one of the imitation to have a tattoo. So the Lord told them, no, you as the children of God, you should not do this because you are not like them. Rabbana wanted actually to separate his children from the children of the world. That's why in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 28, he said it very clearly. You shall not make any cutting in your flesh for the dead. Again, this one of the pagan tradition. Nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Let us think right now about tattoo in our culture. Actually, people do tattoo as part of paganism. That's why when we do tattoo in our body, we are conforming to the children of the world. So this verse in Leviticus 19.28 applies to our time. We should not be conformed. I see people doing tattoo like a cross and next to it something satanic. Because the cross for, for them is not just, it's just a drawing, a tattoo. We should be different. Somebody will ask me why our parents in Egypt, they had a tattoo. Again, if you understand what I said about conforming to the culture, you know, conforming to the culture, don't be conforming to pagan culture. In Egypt, actually, because we are a non-Christian culture, and if a girl has a necklace with a cross, sometimes they tell her, remove the cross from your neck. So they want to defend their faith. We are Christian. Even we're going to make a tattoo in our hands, to actually say we are a Christian. So here it is totally different mindset. It's not the tattoo of decorating the body like pagans, but it is actually confessing their Christianity. And in spite of this, I don't have a cross in my hand. This doesn't make me non-Christian. I'm a Christian. So yes, in this culture, yes, tattoo is wrong, and tattoo is against the Bible. Because tattoo in this culture is very, very pagan. Very pagan. It's not Christian. Um, I feel like I've been faced with this situation a lot, especially with the, like, the growing transgender community, um, where someone's transgender and uh, they've like, had a physical alteration to the body surgery to like where their anatomy is now the anatomy of a different gender. And sometimes you can't tell. like You don't even know that they were originally a different gender unless they tell you or um, if their behavior is a little bit off and something like that. So in those situations, uh, and those people have had physical and anatomical changes, I understand like if someone's like, you know, the same, like physically the same, it's very easy to be like, oh, like not to call them with their new gender, like we understand. If you, if you really don't know, and you're really confused, and you don't know whether this person is a man or a woman, and he told you I am a woman, 
and you, you treated her as a woman or so she was a man to investigate what if we know that they had the surgery but now they are to- they are anatomically like the new gender do we still refer to them as the old gender of course anatomy any surgery it is actually deformation of the body not fixing the body it's it's actually called mutilation of the body it's considered mutilation it's considered deformation so you're saying to call them by their original? Yeah, I can tell them, you know, I cannot lie to myself. So I will call you by your name. So I'm, I'm, I'm only asking in a medical sense, like at work, and like a clinic or something. And you see that their ID says one gender, but they're talking to you with a different name, like as if a different gender. And then, like, you, can, you can tell them clearly, I'm going to follow what the, your ID is saying. Okay. Yes. If you sort of have to, like, I guess respect some people because you're like a manager or you are in charge of a certain site, something like that, is it still... You can ask the, to respect your belief system too. Why why I am demanded to respect them and they don't respect my belief system? And my belief system, and then I have to witness for the truth. That's who I am. It is discrimination against me if they demanded me to respect belief system of others and they don't respect my belief system. I know the society will not accept what I'm saying. I know this for sure. But we need to be strong. And when actually we fight for the truth, through the grace of God, we will win at the end. But if we start to give in, the, the falsehood will prevail. I understand, but our fathers, the martyrs, lost their life, not their jobs. I understand that God is a creator, but when the question of evolution comes up, I blank out. I'm not sure the right way to explain it. And I want any evolutionist answer this very simple question. What is the source of life? Until now, they don't have answered this question. So it's just a theory. Some things in it is right, but this doesn't make it all right. You know, I'm not saying everything in evolution is, is wrong and falsehood. No, some things actually is right. Like in, this doesn't make the whole theory is right. Even nobody dares to call it fact, a scientific fact. They call it until now theory of evolution. It's a, just a theory. If you've ever been scientific fact, when I say water is hydrogen and oxygen, H2O, that's a scientific fact. But nobody dares to say evolution is a fact. Because they don't have any answer. They have many, many yani, theories about the origin of life or the source of life. But all of them are yani, not proven. Can you explain Jesus' divinity and humanity? Did Christ lose his humanity when he rose? Of course not. In the incarnation, the Son of God the second hypostasis, second person of the Holy Trinity, took full humanity from St. Mary. 
and I did not say Saint Mary conceived with a child and then the divinity united with this child. This is a heresy, the heresy of Nestorius. But the second person of the Holy Trinity, or the second hypostasis of the Holy Trinity, took humanity from Saint Mary and made it one with his divinity without mingling, without confusion, and without alteration. From this moment, now we have the incarnated Son of God. And this humanity did not separate from the divinity till now, until the end of the ages. So, when I say full humanity, means body, human spirit, and human soul. The Holy Spirit did not replace the human spirit. Or the divinity did not replace the human spirit. So he was full human. Full human. When the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, what will happen? If you imagine in this pen, I put it like if you imagine I put it in fire so fire is united to this pen then actually it was separated into two parts but this part is still united with fire and this part is united with fire that's what happened at the death of the Lord Jesus Christ the human soul is still united with the divinity separated from the human body is still united with the divinity. So the human body with the divinity was in the tomb. The human soul with the divinity descended into Hades, took Adam and his children, restored them to the paradise of joy. On the third day, the human soul united with the divinity returned to the human body that was in the tomb. That's the resurrection. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose with a new nature for the humanity, the glorified nature. As St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, to be the first fruit. So as he, first fruit of those who will be risen from the dead. So as he rose with a glorified body, we will be risen with glorified body in the last day. According to the body that the Lord Jesus Christ rose in his resurrection, all of us will be risen with the same glorified body. But until now, he ascended to heaven with his humanity. Because there is no separation between humanity and divinity. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father with his humanity. Where did the dawn of procession come from? And what is its biggest benefit? Procession, in general, is a type of celebration. So, for example, in in wedding, when the groom and and the bride enter the church with a procession, so we we celebrate them. And when they leave, also they both leave in, in, in procession. The same when a bishop enters the church. The same even in the funeral. You know, we do procession for the uh, casket, entering the church and leaving the church. Also in, in the Feast of Saints, like when we venerate St. Mary, St. Mark, Archangel Michael, we do procession in Vespers. Because the procession that are done in the Divine Liturgy, only for the Lord Jesus Christ.
So we do procession in Vespers, after if not Yanaina, uh, God have mercy upon us. There is procession related to the Feast of Resurrection. We do it, start from the Feast of Resurrection. It has a meaning. When the Lord Jesus Christ appeared during these 40 days, from resurrection to ascension to the people. So when the icon of resurrection goes among the people, no, it is to remember his appearance to the people during this, these 40 days. But when we baptize somebody or when we ordain deacons, we do procession. It's just a celebration. It is a joyful celebration. And what's the benefit? It, it brings joy to the person himself and to people. They show love and celebration with the person whom we are celebrating. How do you explain the idea that other Christian denomination and other peaceful religions are not going to heaven or get reward at the end? Not going to heaven, I cannot judge this. But what I can judge, what is uh, revealed to me in the scripture. So, there is difference between judging doctrine or judging people. For example, in John chapter 3, Gospel of John chapter 3, last verse, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It's very clear. If you believe in the Son, you will have eternal life. If you don't believe in the Son, you will not see life. That's what the Bible says. This actually about religions, other religions. About denominations. All denominations cannot be true in the same time. I cannot say baptism is essential for salvation and somebody says a baptism is not essential for salvation and both of them is true. I cannot say Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and somebody say Holy Spirit proceeds Father and Son and both are true. So, one is true and one is false. And if I am believing in falsehood in spite of the revelation that's in the scripture, then I'm resisting God. I am saying God is a liar. Because God said, for example, Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, I'm saying, no, He's proceeds from the Father and Son. Then I'm correcting God. So go and, and study the scripture and see what the scripture says. See what is the revelation in the scripture. If the, if the Lord said, Unless you are born again from water and spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Then, if somebody told me baptism is not essential, how can I accept it? So, instead of trying to defend other denomination or defend other religion and think about to, to give them false assurance, no, you will be saved, no, you will go to heaven. No, go and preach. Go and talk to them. That's why the, the apostles went and preached the whole world to tell them this is the way of salvation. If you want to be saved, there is no other name by whom we can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. 
What do we do if someone is not convinced of the sin gay? They think we need to have more examples than just in the Bible. Further elaborate. What is the way to go about this and best way to answer? You know, if somebody doesn't want to believe the Bible, unfortunately there is nothing, nothing can be done for him except just to keep praying for him until God moves his heart. Yeah, the question itself, they want more example than just in the Bible. The Bible is the word of God. The Bible is our law, is a revelation of God. The Bible is what God told us, this is right and this is wrong. Who, who will judge us? Christ. Christ is the judge. So if Christ said, this is wrong, this is sin, and then all the leaders of the world said it's not sin. But at the end, who will judge us? The leaders of the world or Christ? They deceive you. Do you want to be deceived? Then what God told us, we need to follow. Another thing, actually, as I, I, I said, even common sense, common sense, yani, is it really homosexuality? Homosexuality means either two men or two women. Right? That's homosexuality means. But in reality, one of them acting like a man and one acting like a woman. So in reality, it's not homosexuality. But somebody is disguising himself in another gender. What's the whole point about, uh, behind it? I can understand if somebody ha- have this attraction and is struggling with it and he knows it's a sin and he wants to be healed. He has my heart and my prayer. I, I will do whatever I can through the grace of God to help this person. Then all of us have our, our struggles. But to say, woe to those who say about light, darkness on dark light, about good, evil, and evil, good. So Anna, my issue is not with the homosexuals who are struggling with this sin and they want to repent. As long as they are fighting and struggling, they are accepted before God. And if they die, they will go to heaven. As long as they say it's wrong, and we are fighting. As if one fighting was lying, one fighting was cursing, one fighting was anger. All of us who are struggling with certain sins. But the issue is with those who try to say it is not sin. That's the main issue. Those who want to say about evil, it's good. What does the church view adoption? Church is not against adoption. Is it considered going against God's will if the couple unable to have kids? If you adopt, for example, an orphan or a street child and you take care of him and you raise him in the fear of God, what's wrong with that? You are not going against God's will here. You are not going against God's will. It is a service. It is offering help to helpless child. If a man and woman are both fertile, they have no issues at all, is adoption still okay? Do you guys still accept yes. it? In yes. All yeah, I, I, I know some families have three children and adopted three, so you have a total of six kids. Nothing wrong with it. What about like IVF? As long as there is no abortion involved. What do you mean abortion involved? 
Usually in IVF, they fertilize more than one of. They don't use all of them. So they put some of them, they freeze them. And if they don't, people, the couple don't want them, then now it's it's a problem because there are yani, billions of, when I say billions, I mean billions, of fertilized ova frozen and they don't know what to do. Destroying this, and the church opinion until now, destroying this uh, fertilized ova is considered abortion. So if there is a way to do IVF without destroying fertilized ova, the church is not against it. If I know someone who would like to get into church more and start the process of converting, how do I know which church would be the best to introduce them to? By church, I mean church I currently attend or a more English Coptic Orthodox church. It depends on the person himself. For example, in, in the monastery in Texas, we have one from Latin America, we have one from America, we have one from Ethiopia. Yeah, without mentioning who is who likes what, let me keep this confidential. But somebody, and the three of them, they don't understand, they don't know Coptic or Arabic. But one of them is interested to learn Coptic and to attend the, the Coptic and Arabic and English mixing liturgy. Another one prefer more to attend all English. So it depends on the person himself and what helps him to grow spiritually. So this, uh, I cannot give a generic answer to answer all the cases. It has to be taken case by case. Why is it considered wrong to touch the body of Christ if it touches uh, our mouth? For example, if I'm standing to take communion and it touches my mouth, but it falls, why can cannot we touch it? Yeah, it's a logical question. But I can... And to, and to answer this question, let me go back to the story of the Ark of Covenant. And the Ark of Covenant is just a symbol. And if you, you think about it, it's just a symbol. Made of wood, covered with gold, and has the pot of manna, Aaron's rod, and the two tablets. Do you know when they put the the Ark of Covenant on a cart and then it was about to fall, then Isaiah protected the Ark, he died immediately. Why? Can anyone explain to me why? Because God actually, to tell them, you know, this Ark of Covenant, where I appear, God used to appear on the cover of the Ark of Covenant between the two Shalubims. So God wanted to say, God actually in every place, God not only in the Ark of Covenant, God in every place, but want actually to say that this Ark, in, in a special way, more holy than anything else. That's why he told them, when you move from place to place, there is a way to carry this ark. There is rings on the two sides, and they put two rods, and the people from the tribe of Levi carry the ark from the two rods. They don't touch it. Then when the ark was taken by the Palestinians, 
and many plagues attacked them. So they wanted to send the ark and the Palestines, uh, the people from the tribe of Levi. That's why they thought about making a cart and book the ark on it, and actually it went by itself. And the animals knew the way, and it went by itself without uh, falling. Nothing happened until it arrived Israel. What happened there? The Levites, oh wow, it's a good idea. Instead of carrying the ark and traveling for a long time, let's put it on a cart. So they take an easy way. God considered this a dishonor. Dishonor to the ark of covenant. Instead of carrying it the way God ordained, they actually mimicked the Palestines. That's why God very, very upset. And he killed Hosea immediately when he touched Not because he touched the ark to protect from falling down, but because they did not carry it the right way with rugs. The following chapter, David knew what they did wrong. So the following chapter, they carried the ark with rugs the right way. Come back to your question. Yes, the body of the Lord touched my mouth. But God wants to tell you, this is my body. It is the body of the incarnated Son of God. It doesn't mean that the priests are holier than you, so we are allowed to touch it and you are not allowed to touch it. It doesn't mean this at all. But God wants to send us a message. This is not just a bread and wine. It is the body of the Son of God. That's why we need to approach it with fear and reverence. That's why you should not touch it. Not because we who touch it are, again, more holy than you. No, not at all. Not Actually, if we get this blessing of touching it, it comes with it more responsibility if we approach the body and the blood in unworthy manner. So with, with the blessing, there is more responsibility and more accountability. Like in, yeah, the logic that you said makes sense, but on the other side, uh, yani God wants to give certain, uh, yani, the, like the Ark of Covenant, to say it is more holy than everything else. What about the body, the real body of our Lord Jesus Christ and his real blood? That's why. Like in, and if it by accident, the, the intimacy, you put your hand like this and the body dropped on your hand. No problem. The blood falls on the ground. And how ground actor or either can't. God actually wants to teach us to approach communion with reverence and with fear befitting the body of the Son of God.